0: So last week we talked about, we've been talking about different ships and we've been talking about sizes of ships and what they do and what they represent. And last week we got to stewardship, stewardship and stewardship by definition, we told you was completely different. Even though it's the last ship that we talked about, it's nothing big. It's nothing grandiose. It's nothing, had everything to do with stewardship. It was a, it was an individual whose responsibility was to take care of the king. That was it. As a matter of fact, we told you that this man, that even though he, he, he was a slave and he had no ownership in anything, but what happens was this. He was the first man that the king saw first thing in the morning, and he was the last man the king would see at night. And in that, the king could talk to him, and he would say things about his plans, his ups and his downs and his dreams that he would never ever mention to anyone else, his generals, his cabinet members, this individual hears whispers from the king that no other human alive has ever heard. Stewards, getting ourselves in a position that we tune everything and everybody out because their words is not as important as the words of the king. And so we went through this process a lot yesterday or last week, and, and we kind of made our way through. We're going we're gonna to explain something this morning, if, if you wasn't here, but we're going to explain this morning. We talked about divided waters, <clears throat> divided waters. And I told you that last week that I wanted to talk about things that I've heard the king whisper to me years ago. I just didn't want to talk about it because it would scare some of you. But for Halloween, I guess we might as well. But in the next few weeks, I'd like to talk about some things. that What does the Bible have to say about this? Whether it do his kingdom now? What does it say about the election of God, predestination? What does it say about all the giftings of the Spirit? Are they applicable today? I mean, I mean, or do we just do it because it's just a thing to do? What does the Bible really say about it? And I just don't want to treat you as like a cookie cutter and say, well, that's the way that we're going to do it, and so just like it or leave it. You, you deserve an explanation. And so for years that I've put myself in a position to tune everybody out and listen to the King. And so I want to talk about some things, whether you agree or disagree, it's okay. But if it's in the Bible, we ought to be able to talk about it. And like I told you, when I first got saved, I asked the question, well, what, what are we going to do with this? And the preacher said, well, we're not going to talk about it. Well, why not? If it's in the Bible, why not? Content and context. We should never be afraid to talk about anything. So divided waters. So last week, we we gave you three scenarios about divided waters. And and this has everything to do with what we talked about last week about baptism. Joshua crossing the Jordan River in Joshua 3. We talked about this last week. Elijah at Jordan, right before he's taken up into a chariot of fire, now people call it he was abducted by aliens, I guess, I don't know. And the baptism of Jesus. What does all three of these have in common? What does the Ark of the Covenant crossing over into Jordan River, into Jericho? What does Elijah smiting the mantle that the waters parted that he was received by the chariots of God and the waters of baptism have all in common? And we talked about this last week. They were divided waters, waters divided in baptism, when Jesus went down, waters divided. When Jesus come up, and I'll explain this next week, when he come up, waters was divided. And we asked the question last week, and we talked about the question last week, it says, when anointed vessels that were carriers of the word of God hit the body of water, the water's divided. Now, I'm gonna shock some of you. You're not gonna like it, but here's the deal. Music is not worship. Don't shout me down. Music is not worship. Music is adoration to God. Do I like music? I love it. I like to play it on key and out of key a lot. Do I like to hear these girls sing? I do. Do I like to hear Don Dixon sing? <coughs> I do. But music is not worship. You're having movements worldwide These people are ignorant and they're imbalanced on the word of God. But yet they got worship down. Worship is not music is not worship. Music is adoration towards God. You know what worship is? A life of integrity. Humility. Having character, not being one. Music is a part of this, but true worship, the word worship, it means someone's worth. And if someone is worth something, then you're going to honor them, you're going to respect them, you're going to exalt them, you're going to extol them, you're going to live a life before them with honesty and integrity and modesty and humility. And when you can have those types of characteristics in your life, then you are worshiping God. Because keep in mind, to worship God, it means to say that, God, you are worth more than anything that I can put a prize tag on. So do I like the music? I love it. But just because I play music doesn't mean I'm worshiping because there's people in churches that are playing music and they're not worshiping. So that's a little hard to swallow. So the idea of this, for you to say, well, I go through life in these bodies of water and I'm going to explain this. I, I'm going to explain this to you. But listen, is when these Vessels, the Ark of the Covenant, what did it have in it? Aaron's rod. I'm going to explain this next week. The pot of manna and the word of God. When when the word of God hit the waters, it parted. Mantle, when Elijah got on the backside of nowhere in disobedience and God said, come out, I want to talk to you. He said, I don't want to come out. He said, you better get out of here. I'll get you out. And he comes out there and God passes by and God begins to speak to him in a still false voice. And what did he do? He wrapped himself up in a mantle. And when he wrapped himself up in a mantle because he couldn't stand to be in the presence of God or the word of God that God was speaking to him, that mantle carried the anointing of God. That mantle carried the word of God. And it carried it so much that when he got to Jordan River, he laid the mantle down and the water parted. The sons of the prophet, 50 of them, stood on the banks saying, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Oh, we got people everywhere you know, from a distance telling what God's going to do. But one thing about it, the mantle carried the word of God. Here's the deal. When the word of God is spoken into your life, I don't care where you go and how long it's been since he spoke it to you, that word will never lose his authority in your life. Amen. Never. Because Isaiah 55 said, my word will not return what? Void. Void. What will it do? It will accomplish what I sent it to do. So he took the mantle because the mantle, and I talked about this last week. The bear is the king of the forest, but he'll <laughs> bypass the skunk any day of the week. <laughs> he could kill that skunk with just one swipe, but he chooses not to. Why? Because he'll carry the aroma of of Estee Lauder, number 29 in his fur for a long time. And like I told you last week, I'll tell you right now, if Big Dan there gets sprayed by a skunk last night, he don't have to tell us he got sprayed. We'll figure it out when he walks in the door. You don't have to tell everybody how powerful you are and how holy you are, Oh, we'll figure it out if you've been in the presence of God. And I'll never use shouting and screaming and running around the building as a spiritual thermometer indicator for your worshiping God. I want to see, do you have integrity? Will you quit gossiping? Will you quit lying about other people? Will you become faithful and honest and humble and have humility and have character? Will you have these things? And if you have these things, it's a wonderful sign that you are worshiping God. Because if you don't, then you're putting your price tag of what you, your thoughts and your own belief above what God says. So basically you're saying, you ever tried to talk to somebody and they're not listening? And you're trying to explain to them, any school teachers here? Yeah. You know, they already know it. Teenagers, they already know it. And you're trying to tell them something and they're going, oh yeah, I know it. You know what they're doing? They're not honoring your wisdom because they already think they know it. That's sometimes the way we do at church. God is trying to say some things to us, but we go, oh, I already know that. So we're not honoring him. We're not not giving him the benefit of the doubt. So here's the deal. When every anointed vessel, whether it be the Ark of the Covenant, had the word in it, the mantle had the word, and even the word himself incarnated in the flesh hit the waters, same Jordan River. When Jesus hit the water, the living word hit the water, what happened? The waters parted. So last week we talked about waters, the significance of waters. Waters divide. Waters divide continents from the people and the culture and civilization. In every one of these stories, these waters represented of somebody that is being divided from where God ultimately wants them to go. Okay? Okay? So we know that Joshua was supposed to go and take the promised land, so he had to divide the waters to get him from point A to point B. Elijah had to leave a natural state to get to the supernatural place, and yet he has not tasted death yet. So there was a body of water that kept him from reaching from this side to the next side. So what happened, the waters had to be divided. And Jesus, so there's now that it's a spiritual division, What's happened now in in, in Matthew, what's happened now when Jesus goes down, the waters are being divided because now then he's spiritually making a way that we can move from to the natural to the supernatural because of the divided waters of Jesus. So waters represents something that was trying to keep me from reaching where God wanted me to be reached to salvation. So Jesus in baptism, he divided the waters because he was the word and something wonderfully and supernaturally happened. And we'll explain that today. Now then Joshua chapter three, verse 17, we talked about last week, but I want to read this. This is the good old message Bible. And there they stood, those priests carrying the chest of the covenants stood firmly planted on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel crossed on dry ground. Say dry ground. And so finally, the whole nation was across Jordan and not one wet foot. So why is it that the Bible would go to great details to tell you that even in the times of Moses, now Moses didn't, did not have a, a, the word of God. Now some says that he hit the staff with that. We're not gonna argue with that. Some say he raised the staff and some say that it was both. We're not gonna argue with that but we're not gonna speculate. We're gonna just tell you exactly what scripture says. So the Bible says that when they crossed, not one wet foot. Why is that important? Why is it very important for them to tell you that there was not one wet foot? Why is it so important, even with Moses and even here, that Israel crossed on dry ground? Because here's the deal. While crossing from one side to the other, these people did not get bogged down. They didn't get spiritually stuck. Now we all live here in Oklahoma and we know what happens here when it rains about a quarter of an inch, we get stuck. We understand about red clay. We understand what it's like that when a little bit of rain comes and it's dry one day and, 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 and now then the ground is soft spiritually minded that crossing from one side of the Jordan to the next I don't know about you, but last year, we talked about this at baptism. Who got baptized last year? Mark did? Well, that didn't work. Who else? That, That worked, okay. When we stepped in the water, would you agree that the water was not dry under the water? We bogged down. And matter of fact, when we bogged down, that we was having trouble pulling our feet up out of the bottom of the lake, we were going down. So the reason why he's telling us here that the ground was dry, because he wants you to know something, that it was possible if he didn't do this, that these people would get stuck crossing the body of the river. That's a miracle within itself. It's not only a miracle we talked about last week for the waters to part, but what a real miracle is, is that the, the, the ground was just as hard as concrete. Is it possible that you as believers, I'm not even going to look. Is anybody here beside me saved? Okay, thank you. Is it possible from from point A to point B where God wants you to be, is it possible you've got stuck? You got stuck. You got spiritually stuck in, in spiritual stuff. It's easy to do. If God's not in it, it's easy to do. We call it religious ruts. Oh, you get saved, but I'll tell you, you go to church, you get saved, or they say you got saved, but you got saved, and the next thing you know, they give you a list of what you can and cannot do. And now I'm stuck. And I told you, Gayla had a cousin raising church. It was a particular church, and, and I mean, the power of God was on her. She was, boy. I mean, heaven came down. It was really good. And I mean, I mean it was really very powerful and meaningful. I mean, she I mean it really was. And then when she, you know, after we prayed with her and she really just repented, she said, I'm not saved. I didn't speak in tongues. And I can name you the denomination, but you know I don't name names, so I'm not. <laughs> you know I do name names. Anytime you believe that Jesus was taken to sin of earth and was molested, you're an idiot. Jesus Christ did not go to sea on the earth and was molested for three days. It's almost saying like this, this newsflash, there's a newsflash. So you may say, well, boy, that's awful, cold of you. Okay. It's like a newsflash. Ladies and gentlemen, we break into your Kansas City Chief beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers broadcast. There's, there's been a, a massive killing on this block in Ardmore. Whole household with murder. Eyewitnesses was there. Be on the lookout. Now go back to your broadcast. Wouldn't it help if somebody told you what they look like? Yes. I mean, wouldn't that help if somebody said, hey, wait a minute, before we we go back to the football game, this is what they look like, and the car they was driving, the clothes that wouldn't that help you a little bit? I mean I mean, what good is a news building show? Be on the lookout. Look out for what? For who? Can you give us a hint? Are you with me? And I don't care how big and how popular, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, but I'm going to tell you right now, if, if it's not in the Bible and we can't back it up, then let's let's just call it what it is. Yes. It's either an Arab doctrine or or there's a false doctrine because we all can make mistakes. Absolutely. But we need to be quick. And I'll tell you right now, I'm the first to tell you, if I've ever said anything that was not biblical, I've come back and say, listen, I was wrong about that. The Bible doesn't say that, and I just won't make it right to you. So I don't care how big and powerful and famous you are. Jesus Christ was never crucified, went to sin to earth and was molested for three days by demons. (laughs) And for you that said that's not their doctrine, you, you have no idea what you just said. You need to look it up. So we done went through all that. So you can get mad. I don't care. Who cares? Jesus Christ, on the third day, he rose from the dead and immediately he was ushered into heaven and there the coronation of his kingship was given and on that day, on the third day, he become king not only of heaven and earth but of all to come, see. And he's king in my heart now and he's king right now. And I'm gonna get the millennial reign and it'll give you heartburn but some of you will really like it. I don't know about you, but the more that I learn about religious stuff, I get stuck. Anybody been in the denominational church and you just got stuck? I got saved in the Assembly of God Church. First thing they did is hand me 16 fundamental doctrines of the truth. And I go, well, I'm going to do that. You need to study that and memorize that. Well, why? Well, you just need to. Goofy. I found out through the years, I'd rather know what Jesus said than what the semblance of God said. Amen. Oh, I've seen them in living color. I went before a group. My wife was married when she was about 16, got divorced when she was 17. We got married when she was 24 and I was in the assembly of God church and I had a desire to get a Christian worker's license. I went before the group in Oklahoma City, said a group of about 75 men, that's what they told me. If you'll get up and say your wife was deceived, we'll give you a license. And I said, well, she wasn't and they wanted me to lie. That's going to shock some of you. And I had a water paper, she'll tell you, and I had no filter back then. Can you imagine? Ooh, baby. I threw it all at them. I'm not for sure what I said. I don't cuss at them, but I, I'm not sure what it was. I'm sure it wasn't, I love you. I'm pretty sure that was in the conversation. But the best thing ever happened to me, because I saw you're living true colors, yeah. absolutely. So all I'm telling you is that 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 when you get free greatest day of my life, it, it set me free from a bunch of religious. They I was stuck. I didn't know what to do, how to do it. I, everything I tried to do was wrong and. The church that we went to, they just said, "Listen, we need you and your wife to go to the nursing home because we need an extension on our number board." All the number board was a spiritual thermometer. I said, "Okay, we'll go." I mean, we'll go, and we went. And they said, "All we need you to do is just go to each door and count them, whether you pray for them or not." Uh, yeah, wow, I believe it. Here's some recovering assembly gods right here. <laughs> and and I and I said. Well, that's not even being honest. Well, we got to have our numbers up. I said, I'm not doing it. We'll go and we'll pray and we'll talk to people, but I'm not bringing no numbers to you. See, I didn't play well with others back then. You know why? Because it wasn't right. It's a game. I was stuck in a rut. They were spiritually stuck in spiritual stuff. They were not. Listen, they got in the middle of this thing and they couldn't go forward because they had bogged down in stuff. He's telling you that they went across on dry ground just like there was no water at all. God wants you to not only get there, but about how fast you can get there with safety and surety. He wants to take you from one point to the next. That's my job here is to help you with a lot of hot air dry the ground out. So concerning eternity, heaven, and nirvana, as far as the Buddha is concerned, I want you to look at a few world religions and their rules on how to get you to the afterlife. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you come from a mainstream denominational church, more than likely you're stuck. You're stuck. Your little brain, like Jello, it hasn't developed yet. You're still stuck on gifts. You're still stuck on dietary foods. You're still stuck on hooping and hollering and shouting and water baptism. You're still stuck on all that stuff. You're, you're not, you have not crossed over into the fullness of where God wants you to be completely free. Take that makeup off, put it back on. Get that dress lengthened, shorten it. Long sleeve, short sleeve. No facial hair. All kinds of goofball rules. None of that stuff can save you. All he'll do is get you stuck. And then when when you're stuck, you're mad at everybody else because they're on the other side having a great time. Well, what are they so happy about? Because we're free in Christ and you're stuck. But you don't have to be stuck. Atheism. There's a few of them. I'm not going to spot atheism believes that there's no heaven or afterlife. So what's the use? These are world religions. Oh, there's a bunch of weird ones. Hey, y'all to Google weird religions. Oh, it's crazy. (laughs) Everything from licking scabs and sores. Oh, yeah, it's nuts. Oh, yeah, it's nuts. Really? Dissecting corpses and. Oh, yeah. You ought to read that. Not right now, please. Not right now. Not before you eat lunch. Baha'i is, is an Iranian religion that man wasn't born with the sin nature at all, so man doesn't need to be saved. Pretty good gig, I guess, if it's right. And it's not. Hinduism. Salvation is, is reached when the worshiper is finally free from the cycle of reincarnation. Scientology. Salvation is achieved through the knowledge of oneself and the universe. That blows my mind. Unitarians or universalism, they are allowed and encouraged to believe anything that they like about the afterlife and how to get there. There's over a million gods to them, not yet to mention Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, Catholicism, along with Church of Christ, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Pentecostals, and the list goes on and on. I call them the Church of Ganola. There's nuts, fruits, and flakes in all of them. (laughs) In Jesus' time, the Hebrews had adopted 613 laws that they observed. Now, there was more than that that was added along the way, but we're going to stick to 613 laws that the Hebrews observed. Now, let this sink in. Today, we got a movement. It's called the Hebraistic movement. I don't want to be a Hebraistic movement. I'm not a Hebrew. I'm a child of the living God. I don't want to go back and do Old Testament customs. I don't want to do any of that. So the Hebrews have adopted in Jesus' time 613 365, which they take as their negative ones. So they adopted this as each day of the year, there was a negative, don't do this. So it's giving the idea, Matthew, that each day you're going to do something, you're going to sin. So they had 365, the Hebrews, negative commandments. There was 248 positive ones. The number 248, they say, There's the number of the bones and the organs in the body. I guess. This is where the Hebrews get all this. So they take take actual numbers that that can be uh, associated with natural things and they liken it to laws. So 365 negative ones and 248 good ones. Who can keep up with 613? Not me. So you see now why the Hebrews are stuck. You see what now why religions are stuck in a rut. You see why all these religions that I told you, they're, they're spiritually stuck because they're stuck somewhere from point A to point B. They're bogged down and stuck. Some of you that come from Assembly of God Church and Pentecostal Church, I understand. You think that we're the most <sighs> boring thing you ever said through. Why? Pretty easy. Anybody here come from a Pentecostal background? Don't have to be ashamed. We're not going to pick you up. Boy, I'll tell you what. We had a piano player, and I'm telling you, we could fire that baby up. We could blow the smoke out of a church orchid, and boy, we could run around. look like a runner chasing something. And if we didn't scream and holler and tear the wallpaper off the wall, we didn't have church. We didn't care if they preached or not, as long as we could just hoop and howl and shout. But when I left there, I left empty. And some of you come from, you know, we got a defibrillator on you. You come from a dead church. We don't know if you're alive or dead. One thing about you, you'll be the first one to go if there is a rapture. The dead in Christ shall go first. And you go. Oh, I don't know. They raised their hands. I don't know. She sung the third verse. We, it wasn't on the program back there. I don't know. You're stuck. You're stuck. You're stuck on what this guy said. You're stuck on that teaching. You're stuck on what they thought about it. You're stuck. You're not enjoying the fullness of God. You have not yet reached the other side to the fullness of what God has for you because you're stuck in religion. You're bogged down in spiritual stuff. I'm not telling you you haven't left the launching pad. I'm just telling you you're stuck in the middle of this thing. And so that's why dry ground is so important that you can just kind of go from one side to the other and you're not going to get bogged down. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not getting bogged down to anything or anybody. I'm kind of like Simon Peter. Lord, you bid me to come and I'm coming. These other 11, they can do what they want to. I'm coming. So don't get mad at me because I seem to be excited on fire about God. Just because you're stuck, excuse me while I bypass you. I'll honk and wave going by. Bye-bye. I mean, it ain't like you got a flat tire here. I mean, you choose to do this way. Well, I don't know. As a boy, I was taught this way. I understand. But the apostle Paul said, when I was a boy, when I was a child, I did childless things, but now I'm a man. I'm gonna do grown-up things. So I understand. I understand. It it depends which denomination you come out of. I understand. But here's the deal. It don't matter what denomination you come out of. If the word of God is being taught and preached and explained, it's all we need because one day the electricity will go out and the piano will go out and the guitars, all the strings will out, and all we have left is just our voices and our hearts and our mind to absorb everything that the King of glory is saying to us. So I just choose not to be bogged down. Oh, you don't have to get mad about it. So the Hebrews were bogged down. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 11? Come to me. It's, it's a play of words. You've heard me talk about this. It's like this, come to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's a father or a paternal parent, somebody patting their, their leg to a, a toddler. Come to me. Come here, Don. Come here. Come, no, don't you come up there. Right. Come right here. <laughs> come to me. And I'll give you rest. Are you heavy labor? Are you wore out? Come here. Sit in my lap. Psalms 91. He that sits in the lap of God. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, the true translation says, he that sits in the lap of God will say that God is my fortress and my strong tire. See, the thing about it is, is that when you don't get stuck in any of these things, like the Hebrews and all these today religions are, they get stuck, they're bogged down, and they never reach the full life of Christ that God wants you to have this morning. You don't have to pretend to be anything. I'm not impressed. And I'll tell you right now, God's not impressed. He wants us to have life and life abundantly. So does the scriptures, I mean the scriptures, does it give us the answer on how to inherit or enter eternal life? And we've given you a list of all these other religions and there's a thousand more, but does the scriptures, the Bible, I don't have one with me, but does the Bible give us does the scripture give us the answer on how to inherit or enter eternal life? And the answer is yes in two words. Two words. It's found in Matthew 4 and 19. And here's the two words. Follow me. You mean I don't have to know 613? No. You mean I don't have to... cut? No. You mean I don't? No. Oh, that sounds too good to be true. It is. That sounds like not much work. It's not. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, because the five major categories of religion, they all evolve and revolve around wisdom and hard works. And Jesus said, are you wore out? We are. Are you tired? We are. Is your little brain about to explode? It is. Then come to me and I'll give you anapausis. I'll give you rest for your heart and your souls, which is your mind. So, hang on. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Now, don't answer that because I'm gonna give you a homework. Go home and Google some of the most biggest ministers on the television and, and let them give you their response to that question. Just type up these, these, these big media people, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And I'm not gonna say anything to you, it'll shock you. Because they're gonna hem around the whole thing and they're gonna say, well, there's many ways. John 14, and verse 6 says this. Jesus said it. Jesus said to them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I'm going to explain this next week. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, if, I'm going to explain this in the Greek to you next week. But if you don't believe that, then let's just go ahead and shut the building down and, and, and let's sell Hogs and chickens and livestock in here. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. Nobody can get to the Father. Nobody can outside of me. There's no other way. So the idea, Jesus is not a way. Jesus, the Greek says, is the way and the word way is where we get a word for odos where we get a word for odometer it's a pathway jesus said i am the only path that will get you to the father and when baptism occurred what did he do he did divide the water and he created a spiritual path that would get us from the unsafe straight to the father through baptism but it wasn't water baptism it was a spiritual baptism the apostle paul will explain later So no one regardless of reputation, achievement, special knowledge, personal holiness can come to God the Father except through Jesus. Now, we're going to finish this up in five minutes. Watch this. There's 10 reasons why Jesus is the only way. There's 100 of them, but you're going to have to go home. I can only tolerate you for an hour. (laughs) Through the scriptures, we have to back this up. We're we're not guessing here. I don't guess. I don't guess when it comes to this. I'm not thinking that, well, I think that's what, no, we're going to get this right. There are 10 reasons that I've listed that Jesus is the only way. Number one, Jesus was chosen by God to be the savior. First Peter two and four. Number two, Jesus is the only one to have come down from heaven and returned there. Jesus is the only person to have lived a perfect human life. Hebrews 4 and 15. Number four, Jesus is the only sacrifice for sin. 1 John 2 and 2 and Hebrews 10 and 26. Number five, Jesus alone. That he fulfilled the law of the prophets, Matthew 7, excuse me, Matthew 5 and 17. Number six, Jesus alone conquered death forever, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Number seven, Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2 and 5. Number eight, Jesus is the only one who God has exalted to the highest place. Philippians 2 and 9. Number 9. Jesus promised that he would believe those that would believe in him would have eternal life. St. John chapter 3, 14 and 15. And number 10. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, Acts 4 and 12. Jesus is at a high point of his ministry. The crowds now use the word great. It's a Greek word called megos, where we get a word for mega. It means the largest yet. And by the time you get to John chapter six, he is feeding this crowd loaves and fishes. He's doing the impossible. They're watching miracles take place and he's taking a few pieces of wafer crackers. They're not French bread loaves, they're crackers. Kresinos is a Greek word. It's it's a little boy carrying crackers in his pocket and he's got little sardines. Sardinos is the Greek word. So now then we have this miracle that's done twice, but. We have these little crackers in his pocket, and we have little sardines, and now then he's dividing them and feeding the multitudes, and and the crowd is just being overwhelmed by what's going on. Oh, they're they're, they're inviting people to come. Oh, you ought to see you ought to what he's doing. And and after this display of a great miracle that only that he can do. And the crowds is so great that people are pushing, shoving to get to see him. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He's about to do what I do all the time. I'm not trying to gather a big crowd here, folks. I'm here to declare the gospel for the elect's sake i'm here to declare the gospel that if you're the elect of god you will hear and you will respond to the gospel that's my job and he says something that absolutely is just if you was the board member of the 12 you're gonna go Please don't say this. I know my wife in the last 34 years said, please don't let him say that. And he says it. And they're looking around and, and they're saying, we've never had a bigger crowd. Please don't, please don't say anything. Please don't bring that up, please. Oh, we, we, we're going to buy us a bigger bus. We're going to be great. We're, we're going to be known. Please don't say anything that would discourage the people. Just keep multiplying fish and sardines and crackers. Nope, he's not stuck. John chapter six, verse 67, 68 and 69. Watch this, we're going to go home. He says in verse 64, don't go there. Jesus said, by the way, I wanted to tell all y'all here. Can everybody hear me out there? They go, yes. Y'all quieting down. He's fixing to say something very great. He's fixing to say something again. Who knows what healing's going to come from his mouth. Everybody pop down. Thousands of people. 30 to 35,000, the Greek says, Josephus says. And this is what he says. I know you're here for the loaves and fishes, but if it wasn't for my Father to draw you, none of you can come to Him. And you talk about quiet. And Jesus said, if my Father has not drawn you by a sovereign calling, you cannot come to him. And the Bible says they all left. <laughs> we sure wouldn't want Jesus speaking in our church. <laughs> Verse 67, now, Everybody's gone. The 25 to 35,000 are all gone. Takes them a while to leave. And now all we have is 12 left. And I'm sure what the 12 is saying, they go, oh, I told you, you blew it. We had a good thing going. And he said, so Jesus said unto the 12, do you want to go as well? Verse 68, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Spoiler alert. Some of your best friends are going to walk off. Some of your family is going to turn their back on you. Some of the people that you grew up in church that loved you and patted you on the back when you was a kid. will talk about you and they'll snub their shoulders at you now. But I will tell you one thing. Let them go. Because there's only one that has the words of eternal life. And that's King Jesus. He is the Holy one of God. And the scriptures bear witness to the fact that there's only one way that we may enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's through his son, the Holy one, Joshua, Jesus himself. And I'm not stuck this morning. Turn to somebody and say, you look like you were stuck this morning, but I think you're about to get your way out of this mess. (laughs) Dry ground. I will not be bogged down. I will not get stuck in a religious rut. So this morning... As we begin our journey across the dry ground, I want to explain to you some things next week that I think is very important dealing with the contents of the ark and the mantle. And I might as well, because I told you I would. Long time ago, I've been saved less than a year. The Holy Spirit um, once again told me, I'll never let you get bogged down. And I had no idea what he's talking about. And it took me a while to get educated, and then I figured out what he's talking about. I will not let you get stuck from one point to the next. Only he has the words of eternal life. This morning, Father, we just give you thanks for not only the redemptive work of Christ, but, but the redemptive work of Christ through his shed blood. And that dreadful night where there was a miscarriage of justice, that night where he was beaten and scorned and laughed at, That dreadful day that he hung upon a cross suspended between heaven and earth and he took his last breath. Those three days that he laid in a tomb, but he did not remain there. That God, you raised him by the spirit. And if that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us today, it's going to quicken my mortal body. It'll make me fully alive. It's going to hit a nerve. And every time the name of Jesus is mentioned, it hits a quick in my life. I jump. It hits a live nerve in me to let me know that there's more than just a spiritual formula and a religious ceremony that I've got to go through. It is the actual person of Christ living in us. There's some people here this morning, Father, in great honesty that they're just stuck. They belong to you, they're just stuck in a rut. They've had doctrines crammed down their throat. They've had all these rules. It's a backpack, they've been carrying them and they look like they've been carrying them. We're not pack mules, Father, we are sheep. Sheep has never been designed to carry anything. So this morning I would just ask you to do the impossible. Not only have you separated and divided the waters that you made a way that we may cross from the natural side of sin to the supernatural and the wholeness of God. But you've almost, you also have made it possible that we can walk on dry ground. That we're not going to get bogged down. I'm not going to get stuck. I'm not going to get stuck on the Pentecostal doctrine, the Baptist doctrine, Catholicism, Mormonism. I'm not going to get stuck on any of that. I'm going to adhere to the sayings of Christ himself. And while doing so, the father, it'll bring me to the place where you've always intended for me to be to you. But there's only one road and there's only one path. And Jesus is that way. If you're here this morning, you have never ever made a personal commitment to God. If you're here this morning and, 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 and you've been living like hell and you've been running the wrong direction, but I'm here today for the elect's sake. I'm here as a spokesman for the elect of God, that your ears have been open today. And for the first time in a long time or ever, you're responding to what God is saying, that that's great news. Put your life into the life of Christ, follow him, imitate him, do only what he does. And number two, if you seem to be stuck this morning, I've got great news for you. That God is gonna pull you from the the miry clay, as Jeremiah said, and he's gonna set you upon a solid foundation and you won't get bogged down anymore by religious stuff. Jesus is the way. Father, for those that are not here this morning, maybe for those that are sitting alone in a car, driving down a road, they've lost their home, they've lost their marriage, they're losing their their finances. I would pray, whomever they may be, you know who they are, would you just speak to their heart and call them. For those that are members of this church that are not here today, no matter where they are, at this moment, would you just touch their heart? Would you just do something supernatural to them to let them know that you're still working in their life? And we're gonna do our very best to provide a place of worship and adoration that they can follow you without being stuck again. And for all that you're doing, we just give you thanks. In Jesus' name, and the people of God say amen. For all you people that are not stuck, stand and give the Lord a praise offering this morning, would you? Huh? I don't know about you but it's a great feeling not to be stuck Amen. you know I say this a lot before your communion service come that raising your hand why we do it and we do certain things but I've always likened to my grandchildren my grandchildren at a very young age before they can even speak the English language here they would come to Pawpaw here they go right here Let me give you a Bible lesson this morning for some of you. The word grace in the Old Testament is the word Cain. And let me explain the word Cain to you in the Old Testament, grace. It is to extend my hands to the hands that's already been extended to me. And I will tell you what, there's not a grandchild or a child in this place that at a very young age would come to me and raise their hands towards me that I would ever turn my back on them. I would never do that. I would always reach down and receive the hands that was being lifted to me. That's your father. I told Gayla yesterday, I'm thankful for my days of disappointments. I'm thankful for my Judas Iscariot in my life i thank you for all my tribulations and my heartaches and, and my hurts and my pains and all the dark days and seasons of sorrow. I wouldn't trade one moment. I cried a lot of tears. I walked a lot of floors at night, but I wouldn't trade it for one day because it was in those days where I was bankrupt and I had to reach out to God and he was faithful to reach to me. God may not be wanting to change your situation this morning God may be want to just change you right in the middle of your situation. He is the way this morning. They sat at that table that night and he took the bread and he lifted up and he said, this bread now is my body that will be broken for you. John chapter six, as manna came down from heaven, but yet men's stomach became hungry again, but yet I too come from heaven And if any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is symbolic of the lamb's blood that was shed in the first Passover. The blood was taken from the lamb and placed in the shape of a cross. And that night the death angel would pass over that household. And Jesus said, I am the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And my father will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross. And whosoever believes in me shall have everlasting life. Father, thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for all that you're doing to move us from point A to point B, that we will not be stuck spiritually, that we will fulfill the destiny that you called us in Christ's name. And all the people of God say amen.